0: Hey, y'all. Alex Barinka here, head of external affairs at Verashop and host of Finding Inspo, the first shoppable podcast where we'll bring you the stories of some of the biggest names in style and design, digging deep into how they turned inspiration into successful businesses. And each week, my guests and I curate the Finding Inspo shop at verashop.com inspo with the products that emerge from their personal stories. My guest today set out to make women's lives easier by creating makeup that's effortless and flattering. Sheena Yatainis founded Kosa Cosmetics just four years ago, and it's already become the favorite of fashion editors and celebrities like Big Little Lies actress Laura Dern. And the entire color cosmetics line is clean. I could have talked to Sheena for hours. She opened up about realities that hit home for me, from how intimidating makeup can be to that crisis of confidence in the moments before unveiling work you care about to the world. She's a visionary when it comes to color, tapping into her creative side, but her initial career aspirations were in a different field.
1: I went to school for biology and chemistry. I was studying I was pre-med. I was studying to go to medical school. So I was really, like, focused on health sciences, um, chemistry sciences. I was a research scientist during college. Towards the end, I went to UCI, and it's a very well-known research school. And, like, the faculty that's attracted to that school are typically research scientists themselves. So they are, you know, really, like, great faculty for that reason. And in my senior year, I became close with a genetics professor, that I was working with and I ended up entering his lab and I, I finished out college working in that lab and then I stayed on for a couple of years after that too um, doing research on yeast which is like it's a fungus but it actually is, has a lot of genetic similarity to what happens in humans so it's like a really great thing to study because it's like you know it's not living it's not, it's not like rats or things like that that mm-hmm. are actually really terrible to study um, so we learned and made some great discoveries in that lab and then I went on to Um, work for a prostate cancer doctor. That was when I really realized that I could not go to medical school. I was like, I loved the lab. I loved the science. I loved the creativity side of science and the discovery side, the side that was more about um, unexplored regions and like unexplored concepts versus like the the actual physical, I would say like the – like the guts, literally, you know, and when I was working for that doctor, I sat in on a lumbar puncture and I almost fainted in the room. And I like I am terribly sensitive and I, I just I can't even like walk into a hospital. And I was like, at the end of that, I was like, what am I doing? Like, This isn't something I can pursue.
0: It's a really scary moment, I think, to to realize you're in a situation that. You worked so hard, and you spent so much time, probably, man hours. It's such a sunk cost to get to where you were. How did you feel when you kind of realized, I have to find something else that suits me better?
1: It was scary, but it felt so right. And I think, yes, I spent a lot of man hours studying science. And I thought, at the time, I thought, like, I would never revisit this. Turns out, I use it every single day. But I had spent a lot of time exploring arts and color And, like, really the emotional side of expression also. That was something that, like, although I didn't do academically at that time, that was really, like, the the through line of my life was, like, understanding, like, creativity and spontaneity.
0: Which is the opposite, it seems, of of science. You would think it's
1: the opposite. You would very much think it's the opposite. I think what I learned in – and I think that that is something that, like, through my studies of science, I – actually came to learn that like kind of the higher I advanced the more sort of like for lack of a better word spiritual people became because there was so many things that were so like incredibly perfect about the way science is that like couldn't possibly have happened by accident and there was all you know it was a very there is a lot of emotion and a lot of creativity inside of science it's just not necessarily in the applied sciences
0: and so you Left after uh, your your shocking lumbar puncture uh, experience, what did you do next?
1: I actually always knew that there was a beauty brand inside me, and at that time, it was it was based on like just from my own sort of like because of my own interest in makeup and beauty, I had really studied beauty brands like I, I was like my mom worked in beauty when I was a child growing up and so I had like all this access and I think like that sometimes you have access and that's you know relevant to you and sometimes it's not to me it was and I was like tremendously attracted to makeup and I also studied it too because I think for it's a it's like a material like just like paint is a material or like anything in the hardware store is a material and I was so terribly attracted to materials and I still am and so I like made a study of learning makeup learning brands and like really understanding everything and every element and it was what I was most disappointed by were the assortments I didn't understand I could not understand how someone would allow that assortment to come to be and like what what the goal of that assortment was it felt to me very confusing and very unsupportive to women which I thought was the exact opposite thing that makeup should be. And I like at that time, and it was just a total like going to the moon level of crazy dream, which was I want to have my own beauty brand.
0: And, And I wanted to get into something there. When you say unsupportive of women, what do you mean by that?
1: I mean that I think that our beauty routines are something that's very talked about, but they're also something that's very intimate. And I think that the more I speak to women and the more I see even professionals there is like a feeling of am I doing this right and by creating assortments that are hard to navigate you're really asking that question like you're creating a situation where women are asking themselves like I don't which one do I pick like how do I know and they think maybe they're supposed to know and what they don't realize is that no one knows
0: when did you flip the switch and decide okay I'm gonna try try to start this company
1: there was no switch I had that. I like. I had the. I had the thought. To probably eight to ten years before I, I actually executed on it because there were like a whole host of things in the way. Right. First of all, life. Life. Yeah. <laughs> there was a recession. Like I mean, just actually, like you know, the world <laughs> was in the way too. And but for me, because it was so such a like I said, it was such a like a deeply formed dream that it was also like a huge risk because if I actually did it, then, you know, what if everyone hated it? Like I think that was something that I had a really hard time getting over. And and it was the, really the one and only thing I felt like was my calling. So I also didn't want to, you know, approach it at the wrong time. I didn't want to sort of, like I it was there was only going to be one shot for something like that for me. I felt like I was like I was born to do it. So it had to like it was just very revealing.
0: And those seem like the words of an artist, right? You have this idea, you have this passion, but when you do let it out into the world, what if people don't get it? What if people judge you in a different way than you wanted to be perceived? What if that reception just completely kills this thing that you'd held onto for forever? How did you was there a catalyst that got you to the point where you were like, "Okay, I have to kind of dig deep and find the confidence to put this thing out there and try this thing even if it means this dream I've had for a decade is dashed in the end.
1: Yeah it was a lot of work on myself separate from the from the actual work of makeup. It wasn't it was nothing to do with that it was like really learning learning about myself as a person learning about you know like the ideas and the like concepts of you know, things like things that, you know, or how someone's opinion of you is really about them and not yourself, but like not only learning that, but then having it become real, like a real lived experience. And that took time. It took growing up. I was like in my, you know, early 20s when I had first had the idea, and there was some growing up that had to happen, like some understanding of people and really like being able to learn how to emotionally communicate because like that's ultimately what I'm doing through the makeup is emotionally communicating and I know that if I don't like really fully put it all out there then I can't be surprised if it doesn't land and I also can't really worry about the outcome because like I think the worst thing that can happen for me is that I don't put myself out there and it's not well received you know I think if I if I feel that I've laid it all out on the line and the way that it's received is really irrelevant at that point because you know the point is that like I told the story
0: Working on yourself is really hard.
1: It's the hardest. It's the hardest, but once you do it, and I think like I'd rather live in the that in the pain of the truth than in like the false sense of happiness of whatever you know not not my real self.
0: So you have this idea, you've gotten to the point where you are ready to to start working on it and put it out there. How did you get started? How does one even start to turn this dream into into a reality?
1: I didn't. I mean, I danced around it for so long, right? So I think that one of the things that I felt like I needed to do. So I had studied the science, and and I had an emotional pull towards color, which is something that I still is still very much like something I experience and on a feelings level. I end up, I actually did end up going to business school because I knew I would run a company, and I. It was a. It's part of my nature to study things. And so that was something that I felt the need to do as well. I think it was also just a little bit of a buffer of time for me to also be able to grow up a little, like looking back on it. Of course, I learned a lot. But there was this sort of the missing piece was like, I didn't I didn't know if I really knew color or if I really just thought I knew it. I just thought I wanted to learn more about art. And so I did. I I started to study art and like... I found, um, I found an art teacher here in LA. She was a working artist with a studio in Venice, and I started to do an apprenticeship under her. And I did that for a couple years, and we really like went through all forms of media and color theory and really understanding. And my, I knew that I was like so drawn towards the female form more than anything else. It was like humans in paintings that that was like very important to me so I was working with her we were working on a portfolio putting together an official portfolio and we were studying skin tone and we were creating paints that were skin tones and really like I was it was such a like lovely thing to learn because I think it's so easy to look at like a painting and see like this tan color and you think like okay do I mix brown and white and like kind of end up on this in this tan family and what I loved learning was that that's not the case at all and it's very much like this mixture of red, yellow, and blue because we're not trying to make tan, we're trying to make human flesh mm-hmm. and that's like much richer and there's all this blood flow and you know, it's like this layering of flesh and bone and organs and all this stuff that makes, pe- that makes people people. And we had created these piles of different skin tone paints and these piles were all sitting on the palette and I, like, I had this moment where I looked at them and I was like, that is the way makeup should be made and that's the problem like this is why when you pick up a nude lipstick and you put it on you look off because this isn't how it was made and we sort of just actually I stopped right then and there and I was like this is like stop we're not doing my portfolio anymore like I know what I'm doing and those first four Kosas lipstick colors were made in the studio that day
0: so you you stopped there yeah you realized that that you were onto something. How did you turn that idea into an actual tangible real product?
1: That's a great question <laughs> it was a pro- it was a a tricky process i think i at the time I was like very much focused on approaching it as a minimum viable product and I had I needed to know like it was also a variety of reasons right like first like do, do we have something that we can like go to market with secondly like how much do I want to reveal myself like maybe if I just do it a little at a time I'll feel more comfortable with it um, so it was a very quiet and small launch and operation and with very little you know very little communication very little storytelling I think what I noticed right away though was that without me saying anything women were completely picking up on what I was trying to put out there in in a way that like I can't even explain it was like as though they were feeling what I was feeling through the makeup itself
0: and when you say small operation how many people are we talking
1: two one we're talking about what I mean it started with just me uh-huh. um it started at my kitchen table you know it was just me and it grew. I mean, we grew quickly, I I would say. But still, for the first couple years, there were just three or four of us at any time.
0: There are so many things that go into forming a company from the legal side to the operation side to finding somebody who will formulate your product and produce it for you. It was hugely
1: overwhelming. And I think that starting very small and tight in the way that I did was like, it was that was like the what would you call it? It was like the launch pad. And and that's why it stayed that way for a while because it took time to understand like supply chain logistics, um, you know, direct to consumer selling wholesale business, like all of these things that didn't happen overnight, but they, and they, and it was always the same thing. It went from me knowing nothing to knowing a little bit, to knowing a little bit more, to going back to knowing nothing again. And that's like kind of been the, the trajectory of everything I've done so far. And, you know, Ultimately, now in the beginning, it was, it was that way. Now, I am fortunate enough to have the opportunity to partner with people who know more than I do, which is really everyone that I work with.
0: And then you figure it out along the way, too.
1: We have a very strongly mission-driven brand, and it's very much driven by making the lives of women easier. And I think when we always go back to that, the answers are usually very obvious.
0: Let's take a quick break from my chat with Kosas Cosmetics founder and CEO, Sheena Yutainis. I wanted to remind you that like every Finding Inspo episode, this one is also shoppable. Sheena and I have curated items from our conversation and a few others that are inspiring us lately for the special Finding Inspo store on Vera Shop. Next to each product, we'll also tell you why we're loving it. You can find it at bearshopcom inspo. And just for finding inspo listeners, new Verashop customers can take 20% off their first purchase with the code INSPOSY. There are two in particular from the Kosas lineup that I've been using daily, and it's helped get my morning makeup routine down to less than five minutes. We'll talk about those products, and we'll get scientific about how she formulates new lines and talk about what work-life balance looks like for a perfectionist. So talk to me about brand identity. It's so important these days, and especially if you are mission-driven. And and to your earlier point, your products were speaking to people, right? Was that the formulation? Was that the branding? How do you think about what COSIS means to the rest of the world?
1: I think it's re- – like it was – It's the way that all of those things interact with each other. I think like everything's on a continuum, nothing's black and white, and it's really like the alchemy of how things come together that's like the ultimate result, right? So I think one of the things that was like a huge driving force for me is that like I love makeup, but I'm not terribly girly. And I know that I'm not the only one. I knew that because I know people and I like I've seen people in my life and what I had always seen was that beauty brands were either either their offerings were terribly girly their packaging was very girly or very fancy um, and then the like the resulting aesthetic was also very like either perfect or you know very very girly and things that like did not resonate with me and and also, were not a reflection of the people's beauty looks that I admired the most. Like, there were people that I, like, you know, girl-crushed over, and none of them had that look. And I, there wasn't really a brand that was embodying that as an aesthetic. And it, it started there. I think, like, you can really see that through, like, the brand identity, through the packaging. There is, like, a, a like a slight bit of androgyny, a slight bit of, like, this could be for anyone kind of vibe, because, like, that's just who I am. I'm... a a little allergic to trends so <laughs> so and it there, there it takes discipline you know it's very like tempting sometimes to just paint everything with millennial pink because you know it works but like then we're not innovating and that's not where I want to be I kind of want to I'd like I'm more of an explorer
0: so you started with the four initial colors how'd you pick those
1: those were the ones we, the, four, the first four colors we created in the studio. And they were these like seemingly simple, but deeply complex, fleshy earth tones. And they were sort of like the colors I'd always needed. And they, two, uh, two of those colors are still our best sellers by far Rose water and, Rosewater and Undone.
0: Okay. I'm wearing Rosewater right now.
1: You are. I'm yes, wearing Undone obsessed. right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then a few months later, when those were well received, I, and the seasons were changing and there's something about color that's like just sometimes it's just a feeling it's like the entire world all at once becomes ready and ripe for this thing and, like the, and I think that's where trends are born too and it felt at that time it was like spring was approaching I just had this like feeling in my heart that we needed to have these other four colors so then we became an eight color lipstick collection and we stayed that way for a couple of years
0: what did that early trajectory look like in terms of of growth and visibility?
1: It was a lot a lot of like, I, like paper cuts, but that's a negative term. It was a <laughs> lot of like tiny moments of recognition from press, and I would say like what at the time I didn't realize, but was like a grassroots influencer outreach, like sort of people that that I knew. I there was there was no one I had ever met in my life who I was not leveraging at that time.
0: And you say you're an introvert. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm an introvert with a mission.
0: <laughs> After the lipsticks, how long before you started thinking about other other product lines?
1: It was about – it was two years post-launch. So we launched in 2015. 2017, exactly two years later, we launched Blush. And that was a huge moment I that, you know – the, the second four lipsticks when we launched those there was a, a like clear lift as well in profile of the company and then when we launched blush it was like oh this isn't just a lipstick brand anymore and there was a, an even bigger it was really like each each time we launched something and that's still continued to be the case um we've seen like a tremendous growth in the profile of the company and and so we launched blush we launched the two categories of blush cream and powder the duos they blush and highlighter duos and again It was based on a study of color, and it was, like, ultimately, and I believe strongly that blush should only come in peach, pink, and bronze, variations of peach, pink, and bronze. Like, those are the only colors that belong on a cheek, and it's really to, like, bring blood flow and tie together face that has like a lip and an eye and everything else on it blush is to me like actually the most important step I think you can get away with like not wearing the other things if you do and and, but blush is also scary to people and so like it's very confusing to choose and you know but blush isn't something that it's like foundation it's not you're not just it's not meant to be an experimentation zone it's like you kind of you don't get to just wear whatever foundation color you want you have to wear the one that matches your skin tone and it's the same thing with blush and it really is going to fall into those peach pink and bronze categories.
0: I rarely hear people say my my cannot die without cannot live without Desert Island beauty product is blush. Why is that yours?
1: it lights up your face I mean blush actually like like it brings tremendous health to your face and I think that's like that's what makeup should do it should look like you but just like more alive
0: so your first lipsticks were formulated in the art art studio was the, did you go back for blush, or how did you come up with with those uh, peach, pink, and bronze tones that you landed on for blush?
1: I, I we still everything everything is still formulated in that same process. Every color is created by the same process. So, like an art studio is really just wherever your paints are is your art studio. And so, so you're that, literally using paint. Literally, start with paint. Yeah, we always start with paint. So we mix paint. Um, we use certain paints that we know that have like the equivalent pigments that are you're, you're able to use in uh, makeup. Um, but we start there, and then we take it to the lab, and we turn it into real makeup
0: so one thing we haven 't talked about yet, but is is kind of an underpinning of your business It all is clean beauty. You do formulate without a laundry list of things that are that are known to be harmful to the human body one way or another. Why did you choose that route because it seems like from what i 've heard, formulation is more difficult sometimes when you are trying to be completely clean.
1: I hear this all the time too. I don't necessarily know that I agree with it. This was, it's a very sim- like sounds really simple when, I, when I'm going to say it and it's going to sound simple, but it was for me, ma- the sensory experience of makeup was always a negative one. Like I, w- what I wanted to do was get color on my face that didn't feel like anything so, like, if we know that that's our goal, how do we do that? And in the process of doing that, what I discovered was that we can't have anything that's a filler. We can't have anything that's, like, a non-ingredient or whatever it is that... I mean, it's very much like um, the difference between a beautiful homemade soup versus one out of the can. Like, wh- why? Why? If we ask ourselves why, then we just won't do it the other way. And that's how I, how we ended up being clean. It was so much about we want to make the best feeling makeup out there how do we do that and the click it was the clean ingredients that always got us to better performance always got us to richer color always got us to a pleasant sensory experience a weightless feel all of those things all came from clean ingredients it wasn't that you know it wasn't the other way around it wasn't like i need to formulate clean it was like i need to formulate the best and the best is clean it's meant to be like an enjoyable comforting wonderful experience and I think that and I I'm also appreciative that clean brands are happening what I don't ever want to do is what the diet industry has done which is like shame women and I think that when we get so on our high horse about clean and this and that and if you're you know what this is toxic and that and how could you do this and put yourself we're really like desexualizing makeup and that's not what it's meant to be it doesn't fit
0: How do you think we should be talking about clean beauty?
1: I think we should really be talking about the fact that makeup is sitting on our face for eight or nine hours a day. And we care about our skin because, and I know this because I'm on Instagram and I see those people's skincare routines and my own included. You can see it on there too. Um, And I know that we, we very much like value the health of our skin. And I also know that when we put Foundations on our skin that might not have good ingredients and might actually have like bad ingredients. What happens is you take your foundation off after eight hours and you see the result. Your skin looks not great. It looks sallow. It looks like you know. And then it it leads to a cycle, which is that like I look worse now. I have to wear more foundation, and then you become very uncomfortable with seeing your bare skin. So makeup, really, if we're really treating it like we want this to make us look good while we're wearing it but also be working for our skin and then when we take it off we look even better then we'll have our answer
0: and this is completely full circle back to your kind of ethos of making women feel the best look the best be the best empowering them yes so you did move into um foundation type product right you have your your tinted face oil um it was two years between lipstick to blush and highlighter duos then how did you get to the next line
1: Well, at that at that point, I had learned like three things right about the makeup industry. And I knew that timelines were pretty long in terms of like development, developing product. And so we had some things in the pipeline and tinted face oil was one of those things. It was of anything we've done the longest development because it was really like completely forgetting everything we've ever heard about foundation but again approaching from the same way like how do I get color on my face without feeling anything how do I make sure that this is actually good for my skin that it's going now it's really sitting on my skin right and I have terribly sensitive skin I had terrible skin growing up it was like a nightmare and and it wasn't something that I think like The feeling of once I stopped having terrible skin, like once I got good skin, I also got like a huge dose of confidence and I know what that feels like and I wanted to be able to bring that to other people too. So that's how Tinted Face Oil was born. It was like, I need to, I need this to be reliable. Like I said, like I need to be able to do this with my eyes closed. I need to, I need this to be something that I can do quickly with no skill and it looks and feels so good that I actually want to do it every day.
0: I've been using it just over my face prep, my toner and and whatever usually a brightening serum and it's been great and it is light and I have issues where if I have too much on my face, I literally get like heat rash, right? My my pores get really clogged. I'm I'm really dry and so it's very moisturizing and I basically skip my moisturizer. Was that how you thought about it going into it or or how does it fit into somebody's routine? How do you think of it as fitting into somebody's daily routine? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think it well, it's a balancing oil. So oils, I, and this is something that like was came to my into my knowledge when I was actually in college. But the only thing that can dissolve an oil is another oil. So I, you know, I think like there was a period of time where when you had oily skin, you were told to use oil free, and that's just not that's just not good advice. Um, but oils are every oil in the world has a different content, a different profile, and like a different vitamin. You know all sorts of different things that make like oils all special. And so in formulating tinted face oil, it was about like what oils can we bring together that each have a purpose and then combined have an even better purpose, which is really to balance your skin. So that's what we're really like. It's not it's not necessarily treating, but in restoring the health of your skin, then your skin can do what it naturally does, which is heal itself. And that's really the – and at the same time, of course – Having the coverage that we, we need to have. And there are so there are a variety of ingredients inside of tinted face oil that provide coverage, really have like a bit of a filtering, like blurring type of effect. Um, and it's it's like something in between you use it, so mm-hmm. you know it's something in between a tinted moisturizer and a foundation. It's mm-hmm. not a tinted moisturizer because I, tinted moisturizers are also not very, um, they're not very calibrated in terms of color so they can have like almost a muddy effect on your skin tinted face oil is not that at all because it's again like back back to our our method of and this was like really we really are mixing skin tones when we're doing foundation because it is actually the color of skin and like really understanding undertone and like really going for knowing like in medium and medium plus skin tones like you're either olive or you're warm and I think a lot of times in foundation people try to like hedge Mm -hmm. And so they'll try to make something that's in between. And then so on the olive people, it looks orange. And on the warm people, it looks green. And it's like, you can't do that. You know, like we need to really be all in on undertone. And we do that with tinted face oil.
0: And it's really funny because I came from the world of tinted moisturizer, right? I had, I loved my tinted moisturizer, or at least that's what I thought I loved. Foundation for me was too heavy. And before I'd even started at Vera Shop, I had started to just use uh, face oil in my concealer as And mix it up myself, because it gave me you could still see my skin, it wasn't exactly perfect. What y'all have is way better than that, and it was kind of what I think I needed um before I knew I needed it because like I have freckles, right, especially in the summer, they come through, and I like to be able to still see them, but I do want to feel like it's my skin, but it's a better version of my skin mm-hmm. um and it smooths me out a bit um so that's what I'm really loving about using the tinted face oil, and then if I have spots, I can you know use a little concealer
1: yeah I think we want we always want to see our freckles if we have them like oh my god you're blessed with freckles like of course we want to see them what we don't want to see is like redness and unevenness right we want to still see skin I I think that there is something really like beautiful about the character of everyone's face and like playing that up versus like hiding it is the key to like a confident look which is what we're going for
0: so before we dig back into your company, this is a perfect moment. What is your daily skin routine? I'm sure you get the question all the time, but I'm <laughs> dying to know, so.
1: Great. And it's it changes all the time because like I said, you know, we're a living, breathing like animal and our skin changes all the time. I like to kind of boil it down, my color routine is the exact same every single morning. So in the morning, I only cleanse and I might use a little face oil. Um, I don't do any like treatment or anything like that in the morning. I save that for when I'm sleeping, which is when our bodies are able to heal themselves. So in the morning, I will use three to four drops of tinted face oil. I'm super fast. I like right, in, right into the right into either the palm of my hand or my fingertips and I dot my entire face with it and then I like sweep and press to blend until it's all blended. And then I, at the moment, I'm using Contra Chroma, which is one of our powder blushes. And I'm like, kind of putting it really high on my cheekbones. And I'm into it. It looks great. <laughs> is that
0: what you have on right now? Yeah, it, it is. is. It's a little bronzy peachy. How would, you, well, how would you do it? You're the color It's expert. like a
1: rosy bronze. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So it, and it looks different on different skin tones, of course, but it's like a, it's a bronze without being brown. And it has like just enough rose in it where it looks like it becomes one with your face versus sitting on top of your face. And I put it on top of my cheekbones because it's a, it's a very like warm, beautiful color. It's not meant to, and I have a skinny face. So Mm -hmm. like contouring has never been something that I would ever want to do. Like that would just be a bad thing for me to do, but using it on tops on the top of my cheekbones is like an opportunity to sculpt and bring a little shape and like lift to the face. So I will always do that. Um, and then I blend that all the way up around my temples and into the hairline and then, um, And then I use, like today I used Undone. I'll do a lip. I usually go back and forth between, if I want something a little more matte and a little more dressed up, I'll use a lipstick. Undone. Phoenix is one of my favorites too. Um, Or Rosewater if I want something more pink. But on other days, then I use Lip Fuel. And I usually use Pulse. Which is new. Yes. it's, It's our Hyaluronic lip balm. So it's really like the like skincare for lips type product and I love using it because like my like the condition of my lips has improved so dramatically since I started using it
0: and hyaluronic acid is like the new kind of sword in the in the makeup toolbox talk through how you got to that new product
1: totally so I mean like lips are very thin and they're kind of the first place that you lose water from. Like if your lips are dry, you, that's the first indication. Like, first of all, you're dehydrated. You need to drink more water. But it's also very like, easy when we're active to lose water from the lip. And we knew that we wanted to bring a ton of botanical oils to the lip. Like similarly to our lipstick formula, actually, which is incredibly nourishing and healing too. It was really like, how can we create a lip balm that's like really going to penetrate And, like, lip balms usually are three ingredients. It's, like, wax, a little drop of oil, and kind of that's it. And they just kind of sit on top. It's an occlusive, yeah, Yeah. which is fine. And I think that's a a perfectly, like, acceptable method, too. But, like, that's not the method. (laughs) It's not the path that I wanted to take. It was, like, I need to, like, drive these products into your lips. And... So it was really the reason we landed on the hyaluronic, the version of hyaluronic that we landed on was because we were using a ton of botanical oils, which we do. We do that because of the way they function and the way that they disperse color is beautiful. And also they're so incredibly good for your skin. So we had to find a version of hyaluronic acid that dissolves in oil. And the way that we do that is we mix it with konjac root, which like, if you're familiar with konjac, it's that sponge, that like very, very hard sponge, and then you wet it and it becomes this like weird gelatin. Well, it's like this gelatinous network. So at the molecular level, when you, you create this gelatinous network and then you like stick these spheres of hyaluronic acid inside the gelatin, and that entire thing anchors onto your lips, and it's like the, gel- the gelatinous network keeps it in place so that the hyaluronic can like freely move back and forth between your lips and, and the environment, which is the, pa- like, it's, the it's the way to, to drive it in, which is what I wanted to do.
0: And the science background is informing it all.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that came in <laughs> handy.
0: <laughs> but you're so passionate talking about it. In terms of, you know, you said that when you, when you formulated um, the tinted face oil, you had to forget everything you knew about foundation. It, it seems like some of the stuff you're doing, I haven't seen anywhere else in terms of kind of the ingredient combinations. How do you think about finding these um, not often used ingredients and probably working with your formulator who hasn't maybe not worked with some of these things? How do you go about that process?
1: It's. I would say we start with behavior. It's very much like... Um, I guess it's kind of like designing an app. Like you have to like understand how people are going to interact with this. And like, that's the first place that I go is like, let's like, let's not think about it from a product place. Let's think about it from a human place. And that's what informs the entire process. It's very much about the people. And yes, like I, I, I think like painting the picture is what helps the formulation process happen. And I mean, I'm lucky it's not been without, like, a ton of conversation and back and forth because I think, like, people want to fall back on what they know. But at the same time, like, why am I here if I'm doing that? If there's something in the world that already exists that's doing what I'm trying to do, then I will buy it. I have no problem doing that. I'm, like, not here to add to the noise. I'm not here to, like, add to the problem of confusing you. Like, if I don't have something to say and I don't have an innovation to provide you, then, like, I will happily sit down.
0: I also love the idea of... Do you call out your your lab and your scientist if if uh, if you see a better way? Does your background inform those kind of conversations too?
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. I am like the parent who like knows too much about science, like who's <laughs> gonna like cause a problem with the for the pediatrician. Yeah, definitely. We the formula comes from me. It's very much like a process that I lead, like fully.
0: So when you do think about, so you are, um, you're the power behind the, the, the process of formulating um, artistic direction and creative direction as well. As a leader, how do you think about how you've built out your team now that you are uh, in a much different place than you were in 2015 when you launched? How have you thought about hiring and kind of uh, bringing in the right people?
1: Yeah, it is hugely important. And what I've found is that because we, because of the nature of what we do and like how much you really have to like tremendously care about this cause, which is like kind of a very specific cause. Um, it like, it's, you know, leads to a slower team growth, but when someone comes into the fold, they, you know, they really mean it. And I really mean it too. And it's like, I think, you know, a great way to describe our team is mission driven and competitive you know, because like we want to make women's lives easier. We want to make the best product and we want to make sure you know about it. You work here. How we has do. that been? We work out of my back house. It is interesting. Um, we always, you know, I'm always checking in with the team to make sure they want to stay here. They do. And I think that, you know, we're surrounded by plants and color here. Um, that's like informed by nature, which is like such a different kind of color palette than you can find like, you know, anywhere else. And, I think the openness and the space and, like, all of it is – it just reminds us that, like, we have we have a lot to do, but, like, we do it because we love it.
0: And I sort of hate this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways because I haven't gotten to a better way to, to phrase it. Work-life balance, right? With folks working out of your house, um, I know that that those of us who love and are passionate about what we do – it sometimes doesn't always become work. It is something you love, but sometimes it's also work. How do you strike that balance with your office literally being steps away from you know where you eat breakfast every morning?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't like necessarily strive to balance because I think there is a little bit of like an obsessive nature that goes into like perfect. I mean, perfection is a horrible word, but it goes into like there's patience and focus involved. It's, I, I think it, to me, it's very similar to like becoming a very good musician or a very good athlete there is like a huge amount of dedication involved in terms of practically speaking there are two things that i do one is that i protect the beginning of my day and the end of my day and those two parts of my day like the morning and the evening look almost identical every single day so like i start the day the same way and i end the day the same way and like having those anchors around my day make it okay for the middle of my day to be chaotic because it is you know like i can't ever expect and and nor do I want to have like a totally routine day Um, but being able to ground them in the beginning and the end is like is life-changing
0: how do you carve out that space i'm the kind of person who also will get obsessive i am so competitive i like to win i always think that there's more work that can always be done but i have learned that i also have to take care of my own sanity and carving out that time for yourself or at least that consistent time to ground you can also be quite the challenge how did you kind of go about saying okay here are my personal ground rules to keep my life in order
1: i mean for well, first of all like i don't have a timeline around this process it is I don't I think that it takes many many years for anything to really like become born almost and so I just settled into that like I'm like here forever you know like that's it's we're not really rushing towards anything and I understand that like things will take time and, and it'll be like a daily dedication and a daily process um, so I think taking away the feeling of like, I need to get somewhere is part of that. And just understanding that like, you know, it's a daily sort of like one long timeline. It took me a long time to figure out that I need to go to bed at 1130 exactly. Cause if I went to bed a little earlier than that, like I'd wake up too early or wake up in the middle of the night. If I went to bed a little later than that, then I'd be tired the next day. And like finding that thing that works for you and not feeling it's, there's just, there's a lot of pressure, I think a lot it sucks
0: and I think that that's something that as you, as me in particular and it sounds like you're in your experience as well as you've gotten older you start to learn yourself better first it was the kind of that challenge of figuring out what you want to do who do you want to be when you grow up right yeah. or the thing that you wanted to be is not what you think is right for you anymore and as you kind of start to learn yourself Um, you become more confident in those decisions and you become more confident in doing the thing that works for you and not for other people. How has that idea kind of informed where you are with the company, Um, especially looking back on your early insights that beauty companies are kind of throwing everything at consumers and they're not actually thinking about what the consumer needs, what their go-to should be in their everyday life?
1: I think that getting to know myself, like, And any anytime anyone gets to know themselves, like you find out that you're terribly unique, right? There's like a you're there's everyone has like a fingerprint that is themselves, and bringing that quality to the company has made all the difference. Because I think something that I have that I have seen that doesn't land necessarily is like creating a super formulaic like type of brand that's not really like you know with one person trying to connect to someone else which is what I'm trying to do and it is very like it almost brings like a little bit of like a bizarre texture to the brand which is what people are like people have a little every person has like their own texture and for a brand to have that kind of texture makes a brand feel like a person like it's almost like a friend that you can have like they're it's not so polished it's not so perfect it's not so like expect everything that you would expect like is this on brand is this off brand like I don't know because It doesn't really matter. Like it feels right. You know, bringing, being able to be just a little bit like looser and more like accepting and intuitive just like a person would be, I think is what gives Kosas
0: its quality. What's next for Kosas?
1: We're still, we're going to make more great makeup. I think that you'll see some new launches coming your way. Hopefully you like them. If you don't, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) but we will cover the whole face. I mean, there's like parts of the face that we haven't gotten to that are very important to me, like eyes, eyebrows, eyelashes. We want to cover every part of the face. So we'll always have, you know, multiple categories that we offer. But within a category, I think what's important is keeping the colors easy to navigate so that you can know know why you chose something and then be able to like really say why you chose it. Because I think what is such a bad experience is like picking between 20 red lipsticks because you're like I don't know why if you, I don't know why I picked this one like did I make a mistake Should, what, what about the other 19 like was one of those better like I have no idea why I picked this one but like when you look at our lipsticks if you want to, for example using the red example we have two we have Electra and we have Thrillist and you can say I want a blue red and that's why I chose Electra so it's not just it's like I want you to be able to walk away and say, this is why I chose this. And this is why I didn't choose the other one. Because I think being able to like just being able to like articulate that is empowering in itself. And it's also demystifying. It it leads to like you feeling good about your decision um, and like walking away, not feeling confused.
0: I hope you appreciate the instincts, scientific training, and artistic eye that Sheena possesses and is able to translate into her cosmetics line. I've been using Kosas lipstick and face oil since before our conversation, and since, I've immediately added the blush to my repertoire. See those items in Sheena's favorites in the Finding Inspo shop at bearshopcom inspo. And first-time Verishop customers can get 20% off with the code INSPOSY. Tell me where you are finding inspo for my conversation with Sheena, and I may read it on a future episode. In an Apple Podcast review, Clea said, I am so excited to hear the upcoming podcast from the designers of the products. Would love to know where their ideas came from and what inspired them. Can't wait. If you leave your thoughts in a review on Apple Podcasts or reach me on Instagram and Twitter at Barinka or at Apple Podcasts, I might read your thoughts on a later episode. This podcast was produced by me, Alex Barinka, with production and editing support from Wonder Media Network. Thank you so much for listening. See you soon.